Bring your greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus and greetings from St. Thomas Christian Fellowship. Kind of a blessing to be here with you and learning, looking forward to learning to know some of you better. Thank you, David, for the Oasis directory. We, I studied it somewhat, so you'll have to forgive me if I can't remember all your names, but I tried. So I did learn that I'm the probably the oldest one here. Neil was about two, almost two months younger than me, not quite. So I guess that's... And I suppose to have the knowledge, I guess, being the oldest one, maybe, but, um, and Brother John shared about me sharing my, my talents. Did you notice the first verse in Psalm 127? Except the Lord build the house, we labor in vain. So except the Lord take my words and meet your need, we're, we're here in vain. That's my desire, and I will be sharing some of the things I've learned over the years. Some of my own experiences and some of what I've been taught, I'd like to share with you. The home is a very important subject, and it's foundational to where we're headed and what's happening. Brother Earl asked me to be very practical. Hopefully I can get practical. Um, I do know sometimes in child training sermons, people can get very idealistic, and that just doesn't set well with me because I, when I was younger, I heard some idealistic sermons that I felt like, well, I may as well give up because I'm a hopeless case. So I'm here to encourage you, to challenge you, and to bless you. That would be probably to set your focus in a right way and to um, head out in a good way. Probably the simplest and the hardest thing with child training, the simplest thing is to understand that your children will probably be just like you are. That's pretty simple, isn't it? The hard part is, where am I at? And what, you know? And so, in studying the subject, I think I could take it in many different directions. We could talk about marriage relationships. We could talk about your personal life and where you're at, because your children will somewhat just be a copy of what you are. I have three sermons. <clears throat> I'd like to talk about happy parents tonight, tomorrow morning, happy children, and Sunday night, happy teenagers. And maybe happy isn't necessarily a good word. Maybe blessed would be a better word. But I think we all want to be happy. The difficulty is, what is the path to happiness? If I could simplify the whole um Subject, um, righteousness produces peace. Sin is very destructive, produces conflict and difficulties. Psalm 119, 165, great peace are they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Isaiah 26, 3, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And Isaiah fifty seven nineteen. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him that is far off, and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it can, cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. To me, it's a perfect picture of the ungodly person, the person who does um, is not righteous. In verse 21, it says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. That is a true statement. And you must believe that. Um, you see happy people everywhere, right? Are they really happy? Can you tell by... Looking around you tonight at all your happy smiles, are you really happy? A wedding couple, they always smile, don't they? Are they really happy? One of the themes that I'd like to look at through these meetings is obedience and surrender. And the older I get, the more I see that it's extremely valuable in our lives to learn what that means, obedience and surrender. Um, 
The word surrender is simply the ability to give up. And it's one of those you can say, but to really give up and to lay it down can be a really hard thing. It seems like in our flesh there are some people have a real determination to get something done. And they can go at it with all they have. And then the next person seems like they have no determination and they quickly give up. It's the different kinds of personalities and and an operation out of the flesh, neither one of them will work the way they should. I think of the children of Israel when they said, we can't go up there. We can't go up to Canaan. There's giants up there. And God said, all right, you won't, we're, you're not going. And then they wanted to go. Basically, our problem that we face is wanting to do what we want to do, but not what God wants us to do. And when God calls us to something, if we can learn to quickly surrender and give up. The lesson for parents, basic lesson is God gives us what we need, not what we want. And if we can learn that, and he gives it to us, and if we can learn that lesson that God is, gives it to us for our good. In Romans 5 is the idea that I wasn't, I'm not sure how much, let, let's let Romans 5 go, but that's the place where by faith we believe, if I could quote it now, but let me turn to it, because it's a precious verse, and I can't quote it. I put it down here, I wasn't sure if I should read it, but it's, it's valuable. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Let's go to verse 3. And not, all, not only also, but we glory in tribulations. And we learn the glory in tribulations only because knowing that tribulation worketh, a patient, worketh patience. In fact, if you can know that God brings into your life what is good for you, and you begin to understand that and you experience that, it's the only way you'll glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. The experience part is you have learned it. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Basically, when we as parents learn that the difficulties in life is God moving and working in us to bring about a beautiful person, to bring us to a place of peace, rest, and happiness. We must learn that lesson first. And now for happy children, parents, we need to give them what they need, not what they want. And if we haven't learned that lesson from God, we won't be able to convince them. And we have a window of opportunity from when your child is here as a baby till maybe... I don't know where to put this age, 15, where you must convince them that when you give them not what they want, but what they need, it is for their good. And if by the time they're 15, they've learned, Dad knows what's best for me. You've got it. Because they're going to start thinking on their own. We've got that window of time. And that should be the seriousness of young parents, to understand that thing. Lessons for youth. You are beginning to shift from parental oversight to God's oversight. The goal is to convince you of the beauty of the cross, the destruction of the world. And for youth, this is our whole long-term goal. To bring you, young parents, you want to bring your children to youth who have a strong convictions, purpose to serve the Lord. That should be our understanding and our goal. Happy parents and a happy home. I think of the story of the prodigal son. He wanted his inheritance. He wanted his money. Give me, give me what is due to me. And he went out and lived a riotous life living. 
the scripture says that when he came to himself. It all looked so glamorous and great, but finally when he came to himself, and he stopped long enough to think for real. You know what he said? How many servants are well-fed back at home? I don't know if every youth goes through that time when all at once there's this something I did. it. It's just something great out there, isn't there? Something beautiful. When you come to yourself, you want a, an anchor. When you come to look at something that's real, you look back home. And you want a, if you have a happy home, it's the drawing card to bring them back. They go on a wayward journey. If they look back at home and it was tension, scrapping, fighting, and they didn't see Christianity, it's not going to bring them back. We want a happy home. Just interesting how that when I there's several people that I've known who have gone through calamities and there's something about home. It's like an anchor, you know. You think you're you're solid in your own home, but I've I've known some young fathers when they had a calamity, wanted to go home. That's a real anchor. The other day I was driving down the road and I smelled mothballs. Now I don't know. How, some of you probably don't even know what mothballs are, but it took me back home to my mom. I don't know what it was. <laughs> we used to put mothballs in in chests to keep them from eating the. You don't do that anymore, do you? Do you use a mothball? It was just memories of home. Would that we could have pleasant memories of home. And that's, to me, that's just a, gives a person a, a solid um, structure. Your home will basically give you a perception and understanding of what it means to be a Christian. It's very important that parents establish that, and not only in the home, but the church establishes what it means to be a Christian. And again, um, we want to talk real about this. When I talk about a home that had some tension and some conflict and some difficulty. Any any homes here that don't have any? <laughs> okay. So, and any churches that don't have any? Uh, one of the things I, I um, I'll get to that later, but let's be real about it. But there is an overall solidness, an overall um, happy parents, and that's what we want. I'd like to look at Psalm 84, verses 1 to 2. Somehow I was drawn to these two chapters, and maybe they, they just blessed me. I hope it blesses you, but it, there was a couple verses that I centered on, and then it became a powerful thing for me. Psalm 84, verse 1, <clears throat> How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. That Lord, word amiable is the idea of a very pleasant Place, just a restful place. A, in the dictionary it says amiable means free from irritation. This is David's testimony. He says, "My of the, how amiable are thy tabernacles when he meets with God. It is such a beautiful experience. It's just a pleasant thing to be able to meet with God. And he says, my soul longeth Yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. He wanted more of that. He he says one place, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you remember in David's sin with Bathsheba, and you can read about that in, in the psalm there. He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Renew a right spirit within me. He had lost that connection with God. One of the things that we um, we must experience those beautiful 
that beautiful relationship with Christ, the meeting with God. One of the things that destroys a home more than anything is just a formal Christianity that's not real. You can go through the motions in your Christianity, and some people blame the real rigid, plain churches for this type of thing, and some of that is there. But the evangelicals are just as bad as just a formal going through the motions of the whole thing. I missed, missed that in my notes, but I'm going to share it. I, I was driving through a community, and there was a sign that said, um, Welcome to a casual, family-oriented church. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be something if everybody in this community would just go to that church? And then I thought, I wonder if they'd get anything out of it anyhow. And that's been the thing that I, I think about. When I work at the prison, they'd say, well, the question that I asked myself there was, I wonder how many people still think they ought to go to church in society. I mean, in the prison, those guys say, I know, I should start going to church. And then they'll say, my mother took me to church, or my grandmother took me to church. You know the difficulty it didn't do anything for them. And I I thought, you know, go to this church, unconverted members, unconverted leaders. What do you have? What's it going to do for you anyhow? And I sort of pity the whole thing. If your worship is not real with God and you don't enjoying the meeting together with the saints, it's going to be a chore to you. And your children will know it's a chore. Was it a chore to come tonight? Well, in one sense, it probably was. I hope and pray that you can go away with the blessing. A person whose heart is converted and right with God there will be something about the singing and the hymns that will just be beautiful for him, delightful. Something that the preaching of the word, prayer in that time, you know, that, that's a beautiful experience that we want to be experiencing that. And it needs to be alive in our heart and in our life. When I think about the amiable how amiable are thy tabernacles? You know, the word amiable, va- vacation resorts will send you all kinds of pictures as how amiable their resort is. Beautiful scenery and just, it's a place to relax and to find peace and rest. And it's just beautiful, isn't it? And here's people that have not enough money to go there and just Wish they could all their life. If I could just go there, I guess to get some relaxation. And then there's people that work really hard and save up their money and then they go and after they've spent thousands of dollars that they didn't have and they're tired and they're wore out and they come back to the rat race, it's, oh man, that didn't do it for me. So maybe you plan another one for later on. And then there's a group of people that have all kinds of money they can go, and then the only people that are really, then they, they put all these pictures on Facebook or WhatsApp, and they make everybody jealous of them and wishing they could be there, and they, they're not really enjoying their time anywhere. What I want us to get a hold of is the, the real place of pleasantness is with the Lord. It's not found Otherwise, and it's a it's a lie that we face all the time. The place of rest is the presence of God. Come apart and rest. I'm, I'm not saying it's ever wrong to go on a vacation, but if in fact the vacation is not centered around what. 
Christ wants for you, it won't be a blessing to you. Psalm 84, verse 3 and 4. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house, they shall, will be still praising thee, Selah. The sparrow and the swallow. They want to put it, they want a nest so they get it out of the wind and the rain, some hidden place where they can have their young, a safe place, a private place. It's how God designed them. We had cats at at home, and some cats were smart, and they could hide their kittens way down in a nice, safe, cozy place where you wouldn't see them for a long time. Other cats were dumb. They'd have kittens any old dumb place, and they'd come on. We had one cat that had its kittens in the load of hay sitting there waiting to be unloaded. I thought, now you are not very smart. I mean, your your thinking isn't very long-term on this situation. And then I thought to myself, how is my thinking? Do I think long-term for a safe dwelling place for my family? You know, some people, the idea of a safe dwelling place for their family is to have enough wealth to provide for them. I think I didn't have any money, so my focus was more on intellect. And, you know, if you know how to do something, your brother had than having it. But the real safe place is the, it's knowledge, but it's the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. To be able to find that place with God. There's the place of safety. It's the only place of safety in the world. We need to be able to cultivate that walk with God to learn of him. When I think about the that that beautiful relationship with Christ and the pleasant place of the tabernacle of God, it doesn't just happen. The Bible talks about Colossians, set your affections on things above, just giving yourself in time of meditation and prayer to the Lord. I heard one minister talk about divine encounters. It was always, it was an interesting thought. And sometimes we're like Jacob. The Lord was in this place and I knew it not. Pay attention to the Lord and enjoy those divine encounters with God. And this is one of the things that, um, one of the things that I like for young families to learn and I'm not sure if I get to this later, but as as you mature in your life, not sure how to say it. It seems like when I look back at when I was 20, the young family, and now when I was 50, I wish I had learned some of those things sooner. Okay, <laughs> and that's what get get serious with the Lord now as a young man. At 50, they were, they already had the, uh, the bad effects of my, I shouldn't say bad effects, but my immaturity. One of the things that I've learned as an older person was, is cultivating the presence of God in my life in a real way. That, that to me, I wish I had done that earlier in my life. And I don't know, here we go on this one. I don't know if you're one of these people that Spend an hour in prayer, an hour in Bible reading. If you are, that's that's great. I don't have time for that. I I just be real about it. But I do believe if you get up in the morning and say, "Praise the Lord! Here's a new day, Lord. I give it to you." That's cultivating the presence of God and the ability to. 
cultivate that all day long. To walk with God all day long is a beautiful thing. And I know that the phrase, what would Jesus do, is an old it's an old phrase that was here and it's gone and didn't do anything for a lot of people. I know one fellow wrote a beautiful article and when he went to town to buy a shirt and what would Jesus buy and I wonder what he's thinking now because I'm not seeing Jesus in that person's life. But it's still a very powerful thing. And if you can go through the whole day by thinking, how would Jesus respond in this situation? What would Jesus do? It's a beautiful thing. That's cultivating the presence of God. And if you get up in the morning and maybe maybe you didn't really have a time to get up. Maybe you were up with the baby all night, you know, and so your morning doesn't look too bright. But still, praise the Lord. To me, that's, that's what it's all about in difficulties. And one of the, and sometimes one of the, these, um, the psalm that I memorized, it, it was, just became a beautiful thing to me. And I don't do it every morning probably, but it's Psalm 103. When I'm heading out, maybe things aren't going quite the way they should. Just, and if I'm in my van when I'm going to fix appliances, so nobody's hearing me, but I can say it out loud. You know, sometimes it used to be I'd say things out out loud and my wife would worry about me a little bit, but that's all right. I think it's okay just to praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. To be able to cultivate the presence of God. Psalm 84, verse 5 to 9. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee and whose heart are the ways of them who passes through the valley of Baca, making it a well. Baca, I don't know. Are there any Bible scholars here? Was there a... Baca means weeping, mourning, difficulty. You make it a well. Was Baca a dry place? I don't know. I, I didn't have time to look all this up, but I thought it was a beautiful verse. Making, who passing through the valley of Baca, difficulties, makes it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. anointed. <clears throat> Psalm 84, verse 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. A doorkeeper was a slave, a servant, kept the door. The dweller in the tent was the person who had it made. That's how I understand it. What I'd like for us to understand, we need to know The beauty of the cross, as parents, we need to understand this in a real way. The beauty of the cross and the lives of the world trying to draw us away. And I, this to me, parents, for, for young parents, um, when I think about, and I'm, I'm trying to somehow, I want you to see that maybe this isn't very practical in child training, the, the actual do's and don'ts. Young parents with small children at, let's say you're young, learn this before 50. The world has nothing to offer you and quit looking at it. You want nothing to do with it. And when it's catching your eye and catching your flavor or what you want, and I'm going to get real practical now. I told someone this the other day. And I don't know you. See, that's the advantage of at, at home when I get too practical, I get too pointed. And then they'll say, you're talking about me. 
I don't know any of you here, so I can say what I want to say, and it's all right, okay? I told someone, and this is what alarms me sometimes in, in young young ones, that they don't have their goal and eyes set on the Lord the way they should. When I look at their hair and I look at their shoes, it tells me a lot about who you are, where you're headed, where you're going. And then I look at sweaters. Why do we have to have really long sweaters or really short sweaters? Why can't we have just nice sweaters? Okay. The world is very attractive to us. And this is my story. I, may, I think I told it before, but I'm going to tell it again. Because this was my, probably me when I was young, younger. I looked at my neighbors over there. They had a nice brand new house. We lived in an old farmhouse. But it was just so, they would come home about 5 o'clock, stop, end the driveway, nice macadam driveway, get their mail out. If the garage door would go up, they would pull in, garage door would go down, everything was neat and orderly. And then, often there was pizza delivered to the door, I suppose they got out paper plates. They wouldn't have to wash dishes. And sit and watch TV all night. The easy life. Okay. At 5 o'clock, I probably had three or four more hours of work to do yet. My wife was slaving away making supper. And then she had to wash the dishes. And our garage, it didn't have one of those things that opened the door. And it was full of stuff and junk. Depends on your perspective of what was in there. But it did have um, clothes in there from the Salvation Army for Christian aid ministry in the garage. But you know what? There was the easy life. But I want to tell you something. I don't know where that family is. But I think of Psalm 73. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, my feet almost slipped. I was envious of them. It didn't seem like they had any problems. Nothing troubled them. Nothing was a problem. Then he says, I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. And then I considered. And I understood. This is not the end here. The end is, and you get a long perspective a long goal as to what you want in life. And it's not the easy now, here and now. And he says, I'm such a beast. That's where I was. Why would, I, why would that world attract us so much? And this is coming from an older person. Some of you, I, I saw nice families and, and close ages. That's wonderful. There's a lot of work, a lot of pressure, and a lot of maybe, maybe it's not so, always so orderly. That's okay. You understand. I want to tell you something. This past spring, I think it was June last year, we had a family gathering, and everybody was there. We put up a big tent. Our church has a large tent. We put up a tent in the backyard. And that's where we ate our meals. There were 90 of us there. We had five little tents in the back where people slept, and my son-in-law has a camper, and he parked there. I rented another sandy pot for extra. We needed extra, stuff. So. I want to tell you something. That was the highlight of my life. That was grand. And all the work and all the effort that went into raising our family, it was worth it. And for I see my children walking in the truth. When John says, I have no greater joy. Listen, what I want you to see is a long-term goal. When that child's crying and nose needs wiped and not potty trained right and the diapers need changed and you're under the heavy load of trying to get everything ordered, just say, thank you, Lord, and press on. When 
John read it. Children are a gift from the Lord. Believe that. There is a lie from Satan that says, you don't want that. That's difficult. That's hard. Listen. Get a hold of the long um, go. Let's read the last verses here. For the Lord God is a son and a shield. The Lord will give grace. He will give you grace for the task before you. Grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Okay. That's my message for you. Get your eye off of the world, parents. There's no happiness. There's no peace in that world. I started fixing appliances 12 years ago. What'd that make me? 57. And I, my eyes were open to a lot of this. Cause I, I guess being stuck on the farm, I wasn't stuck on the farm, but I had an eye opener as to what's out there. There's nothing out there. And I'm gonna to declare to you, some of that glamour and glitter is nothing. You don't want anything to do with the world. So, Set your focus on Christ on the cross and and live for him. Psalm 85. 1 to 9. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy the land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins. Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath, and thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Will thou, will thou, not, will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. My own life, do I deserve any of God's goodness? No, none. Have I received of his mercy? Yes. Verse 7, show us thy mercy, O Lord. And again, this is to be an encouragement to parents, young parents. Do you look at your faults and failures and wonder? Do you ever get the job done? Do you ever worry if your children will not walk in the truth? If you do, you're further ahead than the person who's... (laughs) Some people don't think they've done anything wrong. If you can see your faults and your failures, you're further ahead than the person. And I want to give you encouragement. Take courage. Press on. I think one of the Satan's biggest tools is discouragement. If you get discouraged and depressed that you can't do it, that you're not able to do it, press on. Hebrews 12, 12, pick up your hands. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. Parents, we need to be strong in the Lord. And the key here, God looks upon you. He understands you. The key here is in verse 9. He says, surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Psalm 103, for the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. He knows our frame. He knows we're dust. And I'd like to look at some of these things. I was a bit concerned. I don't know if you'll be able to hear me outside the mic. I was a bit concerned. 85 verse 10, this this is one that started me on this. For parents, mercy and truth have met together. And I was a bit concerned that I would not be able to convey my thoughts and that 
Maybe some of you would write me off as a works preacher, but that's all right. It's not the first time I've been written off that. And some of you may write me off as cheap grace, but this is how I've seen this. And it has been, as I pondered this and studied it, it has been a blessing in my life to understand this in a better way. I can talk in the mic then and do it. And I'm going to use Paul as an example. And it's sort of, it has to do with, again, the idea of you as 20-year-olds, I don't know where you're at, young families, young, get a hold of some of these truths before you're 50 and 60. I don't know, maybe I still haven't got, I just matured lately, but I want you to mature young, okay? Here was Paul, okay? Now let's, let's, let's look at the issue of truth. This is God. The chalkboard isn't big enough to, God is way out there. Someone said like this that if God's holiness is at the top of the ceiling and the, the most righteous person you know is about an inch up from the bottom. So that would be a better description of where we're at with God. But the holiness of God, this is God here. Truth. Truth is God, holiness, perfection. Everything about God is perfect. There is the most beautiful place of peace. I create peace. This is God. So here's Paul in his life. And Paul said concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul thought he was doing what was right, but he was going this way, away from God. And you can read it in Philippians 3 about how that he counted all those things but dung that he might win Christ and be found in him. So here's Paul heading this way. Okay. His whole desire was that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Mercy and truth have met. You and I are along here somewhere. Okay? Let's say Paul was... Anyway. What's that? Here one. I can't see. The ladies can't see it. I'm not oh, sure. they can't see it. I don't okay. know. I'll just make sure they can. Yeah, okay. Let's say Paul was out here. Because Paul lived a righteousness. Let's look at righteousness as right living. Okay? Mercy and truth have met together. We will never meet the demands of a holy God. We will never be holy enough, and that's where Christ comes into the picture. This is mercy, okay? And this is right living. I'll call it right living so it sounds better. It's not righteousness, okay? That's where it gets difficult. But you get there with obedience, And surrender. Moves you along the path. Obedience and surrender. Now what I want you to get a hold of is. Here is a person who came from a non-Christian home. He came from a poor home. A poor church. He wasn't taught. And he doesn't understand these things. Okay? He's right here. God's mercy meets him right there. Where grace did, where, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Okay? Alright. The truth of the matter is, see, there's where you blame me for being works, he's way out here. And here's where you blame me for cheap grace. Listen, what I want us to get a hold of, the, the more, and, and this obedience and surrender is not works. Obedience and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ is not works. And that's where we need to get a hold of. As, as, let's, let's look at, um, let, let, let me finish with this. Here's what Paul said. 
I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's he pressing for? To get to heaven? He mentions that, that I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He does say that. He is pressing that he may know Christ and in the power, he wants the power of his resurrection. The more we can know Christ, the more we can obey him, and the more we can surrender to him, the further out here we can go. All right? We still need the mercy of God. So, you're a parent that has had a struggle with an anger problem. Okay? And anger is probably one of the most devastating things in a home that can be. My call for you is to get serious about this thing. Surrender that thing. Commit it to the Lord. You might have an anger problem and you're back here. That does not mean you're not a Christian. That is, the mercy of God will meet you right there, okay? I wanted, I wanted to look at some of these. A proper view of God. A proper view of God will move you along here. I want, I want to get a, you to get a hold of one thing. Let, let's read these, these last verses. Mercy and truth are met together. The mercy of God will meet us where we're at. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Get a hold of that one. The more you can be obedient and surrender and live right living righteousness, the more at peace you are. Just because you're, you're back here, that does not mean that God's mercy won't meet you. And, and read what it, and truth, truth shall spring out of the earth. I don't know what all this means. But as I yield to Christ, I obey Him and I surrender. Truth springs out of my life. And as a young parent, you want to get a hold of these things. Now, don't wait till you're older. Don't you, your children are being impacted by these things. Are you, are you catching what I'm trying to say here? I want you to press into Christ. It's beautiful. You want that. Righteousness and peace have kissed. You will produce peace in your home. Okay, so proper view of God. God's law is perfect. It's for my good. Oh, how love I thy law. We have Cheap Grace says, well, I'll read that later. He wants my good. His plan and design for my life is perfect. He requires much of me. Does he require a lot of you? And it's not like as if you're under a bondage. It's because, and you can delight in his requirements. That's what we need. He is disappointed when I fail. And I mourn those failures also because I am not moving along like Christ wants me. He rejoices with me in my victories. A wrong view of God. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm set free. I'm saved by the blood. That's true. But he wants me to get a hold of the new catch words, not what would Jesus do, is the kingdom. So he wants to get a hold of the kingdom. He wants me to experience peace. Righteousness and peace have kissed. God wants me to be healthy and wealthy. You heard all that. And he does in my soul. He wants me to have a healthy soul and a wealthy. God wants me to enjoy life. True enjoyment is in Christ. And God's commands are just a suggestion. No. God's law is real and perfect. And he wants me to experience that. I press Toward the mark. That's what I want you as parents to get a hold of. Okay, anger. Struggling with anger. There, there are so many things that um, flee youthful lust. We'll talk about that Sunday night. Struggling with immoral thoughts. They are the silent killer in home. 
They destroy relationships. Maybe you're struggling with covetousness. Young men, your whole life's before you. I done blew it. Too late for me to get rich anymore. (laughs) What I want you to know, get a hold of the real values of life, the real things that are important. Because you can spend your whole life, and and children are not really a help for you to get rich. They just are going to get in the way. And listen, the wealth is not what counts. Your children are a blessing. They're what's valuable. Give your energy and time to them. Covetousness, envy, jealousy keeps us from experiencing the peace of God in our lives. Pride. Any of you having pride here? Be one. You, wouldn't it be nice if we could just get rid of that thing once and for all and never rise up again? Get a hold of that. Press for righteousness. Okay. I want to look quickly. I don't know when I started. I, I made a joke out of it. But anyway. I'll, I'll be soon done here. I'm, I'm, it. Peace in our hearts and life is freedom in our lives. And this is one of the biggest ones, if we can learn forgiveness. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. How many of you know that verse? I can't even quote it now. For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you peace, give you an expected end or good end or something like that. That's one of the most famous. How many of you know the setting for that? Nobody knows the setting. Where were the children of Israel? Down in Babylon. Hananiah was prophesying to them, two years time you'll be out of here and you'll go back. The good, easy life. No. Jeremiah says, settle down. You are going to be in bondage for 70 years. Just settle down. He's prophesying lies to you. There's more lies than enough in our time. Get a hold of what's real and what's true. You're going to be here for 70 years. Why were they there there for 70 years? Their own sins? Well, maybe. The sins of their fathers. How many of you are where you are because of the sins of your fathers? Don't raise your hand. How many of you had perfect fathers that did everything right? None of us did. How many of you fathers are now have done it all right? No, none of us have done. How many of you need forgiveness from your children? Listen, one of the one of the things that I guess strikes me more than anything is that whole cycle we will not forgive our past. We will not forgive our parents. We will not forgive the hard situations, the difficulties that we face. God's plan is perfect. He knows my frame. He knows what I need. Do you believe it? That he will give you what you need. There are some situations that have been very bad. Victims of a bad home. I've heard enough bad stories come out of Christian day schools. One man was so, he didn't want his children going to Christian day school. He'd rather go to public school. I got news for you there too. There's many bad things. I went to public school. I didn't want my children going to public school. Bad neighbor children. Bad church. How many of you had bad experiences? So what are you going to do about it? Just bellyache about it all your life? Pity yourself. Life's unfair. You as parents, if you feel like a victim, you haven't been treated right, guess what? Your children will feel the same way. And if you don't forgive your past, this to me is a very important part of being able to teach and train our children to be able to set free from that 
bondage of unforgiveness towards our difficulties. There was a man that I knew, and I met his brother. I said, where's your brother at by now? He said, he's still looking for a church that will treat him nice. Nobody will treat him nice. Are you looking for that kind of a church where they'll treat you nice? Maybe it's your problem, and your children will act the same way. I will forgive, and probably the favorite story of mine is Corey Ten Boom. You've probably heard it, where the guards treated them awful. And I think he became a Christian, I'm not sure, but he asked Corey Ten Boom for forgiveness. He said, there was nothing in me that wanted to forgive him, just nothing. And from all that I've heard and read about that situation, it was horrible. And she said, I knew I should. And she said, when I reached out my hand, he wanted to shake her hand and ask for forgiveness. And I reached out my hand. The grace of God just flowed through me, and I could forgive him. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is. But it starts sometimes with an action, a word. I will forgive my mom. I will forgive my dad. You need to examine your life carefully if if there's some little root of bitterness that just niggles at you all the time about somebody, your past, your neighbors, somebody. You need to forgive them. Set yourself free. There's something about it. We want to try to hurt them for having hurt me. And again, you will pass on your attitude and your feelings about how you look at life and your view of it. When I think of my own home, and we've all had some difficulties at times, and this is what I learned in life too late also. And again, it came with fixing appliances, and I get into all kinds of homes. And if you're struggling with your home, I'll take you along and show you some homes. And you'll come home, you'll think your home is a gold mine. And if any of you wives think you're not quite the spiffiest house cleaner around, come along with me and I'll show you some homes that I know you nobody have a home quite like that. Listen, be thankful for your home, what it is. Be thankful for that. Give honor and respect to your parents for their effort, for their work. And this is off the subject a little bit. We've been going through this, but my church also. I had the dumpiest church that ever was. Now, excuse me if anybody heard me say that from my church. But it was dry. It was just not very exciting. But when I look at my own life, my parents produced me. My church produced me. Here I am. I'm thankful. Why should I complain about where I'm at? Get a good attitude towards your past. Forgiveness, husbands and wives. Again, that's a true demonstration of Christ. All of us has faced stressful, difficult situations where maybe we have said a word that we should not have said. And then that leads to more, produces hurts and more tension and more angry words. Sometimes we need to ask for forgiveness. Sometimes we need to simply give forgiveness in the home. It's a powerful thing. Children see and comprehend. They see the grace of God. One of the worst things is people who call themselves Christian and do not live it out. Just a few things yet. And I, we could go into a lot more. Um, freedom in our lives. I want to, yeah, I'm, I will expand on this more in Sunday night, but this is a big one for me. Humility. Proud parents. Proud children. And I can give you Proverbs 6.16, these six things, does the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination to him. The first one is a proud look. And I think God hates that because he knows it's so destructive in our lives. 
It blinds us to who we really are. We can't really be honest about ourselves. When I think of... um, When I think of all the things that I could teach you about child training, all the instructions, you know there's tons of books out there too. If you as a parent will identify your pride, you say, no, that's pride, and you cast it down, that will give you more mileage in child training than anything I know of. Cast it down. I am so convinced that our pride destroys us. And it takes on many different forms. I've often pondered, yeah, I shouldn't do this, I guess. But you look at, do you ever look at families and say, why was that family successful in raising their family? And why was this one not? And sometimes you can't really see it. Pride is a very subtle thing. There was a story that Harvey Reif told. I have to tell it. Keep you awake, anything, nothing else. There was a fellow that had just bought this high-prancing horse, and he hitched it up to his buggy, and him and his wife were heading for church. And this horse was stepping off, just prancing along. And he said, Mother, this isn't right. I just can't do this. And he turned around, put the horse back in the barn, and he got the old nag out that could hardly go. And he's headed back to church. He said, Mother, not many people would have done that. <laughs> Pride gets this coming and going. <laughs> done that? And it's not something you're once done, said comments. I'm going to talk about this more Sunday, Sunday night also, but... churches have attempted to squash pride. Churches have attempted to say, um, I can almost think this sometimes. If you just had, ladies could just wear a blue or a gray dress, that would help, wouldn't it? Don't get any ideas, they say. I wonder about some of that stuff. But if you drive a black car, would that help? It won't help. Eldon says that won't help. No, it just gets costly sometimes, doesn't it? If you had just two sets of clothes, maybe that would help. Listen, pride gets us coming and going. And I want you to know that I see proud parents. And you can see it. You can see in some people. They're just, and I, um, when I think about that, um, I could help some people be a whole lot more comfortable with themselves if they get off their pride. And I could, um, they would look a whole lot better also. Define it, see it, cast it down. And by the time you're 50 or 60, things look a little different. Beauty is vain and favor is deceitful. You did a good job. I know. You're handsome looking. You're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Listen, it's, it says it's vain. It's empty. It's nothing. The favor is deceitful. Moral purity. To gain moral purity is real freedom in our own lives and in our relationships. It's it's devastating in the home between husbands and wives. It's very, very destructive. Contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow tomorrow morning. Contented persons press for the things, the qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ. Press for these things in your life with all you have in a surrender and an exercise of discipline. We'll talk about disciplining children tomorrow morning. And one of the points, <coughs> excuse me, 
If you aren't disciplined as a parent, how are you going to discipline your children? If you're not listening to God's requirements, see, part of what I, I was not able to present to you is your understanding of the requirements for your children. And one of the examples I thought about, Eldon, you're a school teacher, aren't you? I was. You were. School teachers represent this thing more than anything. I don't know if there's any school teachers here or not. How many of you have had stiff, firm school teachers that made you work? Ever have them? And how many of you liked them afterwards? Afterwards, years years after that, that's the only time you liked them. The other teachers were just sort of wimpish, you know. Somewhere there's there's a a line of calling our children to discipline, to order, to firmness. Ponder that thought till tomorrow morning. My view of what God requires of me will somehow determine a little bit how I require of my children. There's a connection there somehow. And I haven't fully grasped it at all in my mind. Press on. Let's be soldiers of the cross. Let's be the kind of example to our children that they can respect and admire. Lord bless you.